all profit is value extraction. And that means that all profit is theft from you. Corporate America is on welfare, and they've got to get them off welfare. Hello and welcome to Cars and Comrades, hopefully your favorite socialist car podcast. Or at least um, top two. <laughs> <laughs> uh, today we're going to be talking our usual car updates and whatnot, but uh, we're also going to do a topic that I've wanted to do for a little while and hopefully I did it justice, but we're going to be talking about a, a car that was designed by a computer and was mostly 3D printed. Uh, so, uh, real, real quick, I'm going to say we're recording uh, right now on Memorial Day weekend. So I would like to thank all of the brave troops who fought and died so that I can get 25% off at Harbor Freight this weekend. <laughs> uh, that's right. Um, I'm just kidding. Fuck them. <laughs> um, I I actually did get. Uh, I went to Harbor Freight last weekend because I got up. Well, admittedly, I saw a bunch of coupons that Instagram showed me and that was it. I was like, all right, fuck it. I'm going. And I did use the shit out of those coupons. So anyway, apparently there's another sale because it's Memorial day. Fuck the troops. It's, it's Harbor Freight. There's a sale every weekend. I know. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, uh, we're going to be talking about a, you know, a computer design car um, and what it means in terms of automation and, how capitalism will figure its way around the newest round of, uh, you know, job loss accelerated by automation. So yeah, stick around for that, I guess. But, uh, I guess before all that, let's, uh, let's talk about our car updates. Um, so who goes first? Brandon, I think. I can do that. Yeah. What, uh, what Um, you been up to? One of my car updates require, uh, is, is involves, illegal stuff oh my favorite Mm. um so i finally pulled a bunch of my vans out of the junkyard it went um much worse than expected (laughs) uh and better in some ways whatever i was only able to get two of the three that i wanted to pull because it was an exhaustive effort like involving like my entire van club like all hands on deck everyone was helping me but we rented a U-Haul trailer and like loaded these things that have not moved in 30 years onto it with a skid steer. And so once we got them back to my shop, because of the orientation of everything, the only way that I could figure out to pull the first one off of the trailer, which was the best condition of the two I pulled, by the way, uh, was to take heavy straps and tie it to a telephone pole and just pull the trailer out from underneath it. (laughs) I, uh, I did see the videos of that, by the way. Well, well done. I mean, it worked. Uh, I, yeah, I was actually kind of proud of myself for that. Like, all of my friends were like, yeah, don't, don't do that. My one friend who, ha- <laughs> who got a DUI because he got hammered and wrapped his truck around a telephone pole, thus destroying it, was just like, you know, if you destroy that telephone pole, it costs this exact amount, right? And I'm just like, <laughs> Jesus <laughs> fucking Christ, dude. <laughs> um, 
So I just tied it as low to the base as I could so there was no leverage to actually break it and uh, just ripped that trailer out from underneath it like a Band-Aid, man. <laughs> cool. And yeah, then that's, uh, how the second talking? one was in much Hold on, what is, what is a skid steer? Because like I, I'm, I saw these vans coming off the trailer, which looked like a fucking bitch and a half because they didn't really seem to roll. So then no. the question is, how the fuck did you get them on there? Because we, we had forks on the skid steer. It, it basically operated like a forklift. Okay. So he just he just scooped it up underneath and dropped them down onto the trailer. Okay, I gotcha. Yeah, it was actually getting them on was super simple. If if we had had that same skid steer at my shop, getting them off would have taken like twenty minutes. Yeah. Okay, that makes sense. The the second one went uh, even less smoothly because. Once we got it onto the trailer, like once the skid steer had it up in the air, it got on the trailer, et cetera, et cetera. We realized it was in drastically worse condition than I realized. Like I almost told the guy to take it off the trailer and just leave it, but it is easier to pick for parts while it's at my shop. So I just did it. Um, while pulling it off, the drive shaft came free from the transmission, but not the rear got caught in one of the cross members on the trailer and almost ripped the entire rear end out of the van. Oh uh, my god. And basically it did destroy like any possibility that I would ever be able to do anything with this is basically gone now just by virtue of the fact that I destroyed like it ripped the the leaf springs broke it it ripped the shackles free of the frame it cracked <laughs> the front fr like it destroyed it. It oh, wasn't wow. in good shape before this but like there was enough rot that once that drive shaft got caught and it forced the rear end to like roll sort of. Yeah. It really just tried to rip the whole thing out of the van. And that one was the hard one to get mm -hmm. free because we had to like pull it back onto the trailer because of the way we wedged the drive shaft underneath it. Um, and it was just a nightmare. If my buddy hadn't been there with his little truck to like hook it up to the van and pull it back onto the trailer, like we were literally dragging it back up, up, towards the truck towing the trailer with like ratchet straps and shit uh fun but we yeah. and it was also the hottest day uh we've had this year it was <laughs> 93 degrees that day nice yeah and we got we picked up the the trailer and truck at nine in the morning and finished at seven in the afternoon <sighs> ouch yeah because it was a lot of back and forth driving and and just fuckery um, yeah, but we got them both unloaded and I'm going to strip the last couple for parts here in the next coming weeks. And, um, you know, that, that, that's cool. They're out. It's like two less things that I have to worry about him being upset with me for like ignoring them, which is a thing that was happening for a while. <laughs> um, yeah. And I also like have, have started making progress on my 69 again, like now right. that I have access to more parts and I have, Ordered some sheet metal tools that'll help me doing some like fabrication work. Um, my goal is to have the like the whole rear door frame area of the van and like the floor at the point where it joins the cab corners and the cab corners themselves have all rotted out severely. Um, and my goal is to have that all repaired by the next time we record or at least have very significant progress on that because I've been putting in the hours. So I think it's doable. Nice. And I've, I've done more in less time. So it's really just a matter of how motivated I can get. Good shit. 
And you said last time that you were kind of treating this as your job for a while. Is that still the case? Well, uh, for the last two weeks, um, like I've had a, a couple of friends come through town and like my, my van club has just been very social. So if I was treating anything like my job in the last two weeks, it's been drinking. <laughs> um, but, uh, over the last few days I have started putting in like some fairly long days at my shop. Like, cause I actually have a couple of patch panels that I'm using to replace the cab corners, but they are patch panels that have been out of production for at least 10 years. So I'm trying to actually not use them because I think that with a couple of tools that I've bought, I'll be able to patch the cab corners on my van without cutting apart the panels that I have. And then I'll be able to, if I encounter this problem again in the future, I have these panels to use as like a, you know, like a gauge almost like something to like yeah. Yeah. mimic and I, I can patch it in the future. Um, Makes if it comes down to it, I'll just use the panels to fix the van because that's what they're there for. But um, there's a lot of other spots on the van that I will just be using patch panels for because they're still attainable. But uh the part that's slowing me down on this specific portion is the fact that I am trying to avoid using the patch panels that I have. I am hammering the sheet metal myself. Cool. It's a pain in the ass. I get why you're trying to do this the hard way. I, I do, and I, I, I think you're probably right, but I do think it's funny. You're like, I'm going to, instead of using the parts that I know will fix the car, I'm going to use them as a template to make parts myself that I don't know will fix the car. And that's why it's taking extra long. Well, okay, yes, you're, you're not <laughs> wrong, but I, I, I think I've discussed this on air. I've at least discussed this with you guys uh, off air before, but I treat literally everything I do like a learning experience, and sheet metal is not something I'm especially good at. So worst case scenario, I spend a week trying to hammer out these parts myself, fail, and use the panels anyway, but then I'm a week better at sheet metal than I was before. No, that's true. Like I said, I yeah. think you're right to do it this way, um, but it is a little bit funny. <laughs> yeah, there's a couple of other parts that I am going to have to like form the patches myself because they're not. I don't yeah. have patches, and the like. I know one person who could custom make them for me, but I, at that point, I just assume do it myself. Um, sure. Other than that, I am going to be using patch panels for other portions of the van. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you've um, been doing a lot more than I have been. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm not working right now. and Well, I, I shouldn't quite say that because I'm always doing things here and there for a little bit of income on the side. But I don't have routine employment right now. So it's really easy for me to focus on both drinking and building things. Nice. Yeah. I uh, I... I, I uh, apologize for the, the last episode being out late. Uh, I, I've been pretty busy with work and uh, family stuff. And um, and then uh, I'm trying to line up a new job. So hopefully that'll uh, that'll work out. But um, um, oh, and I don't think we mentioned this, but uh, Zach is not here. I don't know what he's uh, up to this week, but um, hopefully we'll get him on for an update next time around. But um, yeah. yeah, no word from him lately. Um, but yeah, sorry, Brandon, did I interrupt you? Did you have anything else? Uh, I could have rambled on about the same stuff for a minute, but, uh, no, that, that's pretty much it. Just, okay. Oh, actually, you know, I did, I did work on some motorcycle stuff and of course found out that 
I have numerous things that the, the rebuild kits for are not even accessible for anymore. So that's turning mm. into a really fun nightmare. I just yeah. wanted to rebuild a simple Harley brake caliper. And apparently this was like a transitionary part where I can't find a rebuild kit for it. It was like something they made for only one year or something. Um, I, I have talked to a friend of mine who is like a master Harley technician. Like he's got every certification they offer. And he was like, I do not like he, he did. He set me straight on a few things that I had misunderstood, but he was like, yes, I think that they probably swapped this over mid year, maybe ran that the piston on that caliper for like a year and a half, upgraded it and just assumed that everyone upgraded the caliper. Uh, the prop, okay. the, the pain in the ass is that like I can't just upgrade the caliper because they ran different types of brake lines, so I would have to replace like all of the lines and master cylinder and like everything else. Ouch! Because like the the updated ones ran banjo fittings for the brake lines, but the old ones ran double flared fittings. Hmm. So is unless I like can look at, up some adapters or something like that, I I might just be like. All I need is a new fucking seal for the caliper. I, I know a couple of places that I can look that have probably like still have inventory from the seventies and shit. So like maybe I can find something, but it's no longer as easy as get online and order it. Yeah. I, th I think I talked about this before, but there's that one time on my bicycle where a bearing broke and I had to replace the entire wheel because I couldn't buy just the bearing. Like, yeah, it, you know, it's that kind of little thing for want of a nail kind of situation. Yeah, um, it's it's been very frustrating because I one of the things I like about Harley's is the ease of access to parts. But there are still things like this. So, yeah, whatever. Um, if I can go on a quick tangent, you, you mentioned uh, skid steer. And I can't remember where I saw this, but I saw someone that LS swapped uh, a skid steer. <laughs> so I don't know why, but it looked cool. At, at uh, this point, I think people are just LS swapping because they just ha found a motor in a junkyard and they're like, well, I have a wheelbarrow that I could put this on. <laughs> right. <laughs> I have seen a wheelbarrow with a scooter engine. That looks pretty fun. I've seen that too, actually. <laughs> Challenge accepted. We're going to put an LS on a, a wheelbarrow. Right after I'm done with my eight project. <laughs> yeah. Well, um, I guess if it's my turn, um, I think last time we left it, I had um, failed my uh, emissions test. So in the meantime, I put the stock catalytic converter back on there. And um, we, could, we can talk about this all later, probably on another episode. But the whole some of the fallout of the EPA thing is that... Uh, Cobb is no longer supporting uh, a lot of the uh, tunes and stuff that they used to. So I, I found a tune that worked um, that I already had downloaded on my computer and loaded that up. And um, it's not running great. Like it doesn't have like it kind of just cuts the boost at a very hard limit. You know what I mean? Ooh. So you'll be going along and it'll be like, Ooh, uh, and oh, just kind of no. stop accelerating there. <laughs> and you can hear the the um wastegate kind of going blah, 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 blah. so um that's not the best no uh, that's I, not the best <laughs> but uh it, i mean at least i have my other car so i i don't have to drive that one the the real cause for concern with that is um 
when I was driving it to the um, emissions tested testing place, I'm like, oh, I'm, I'm getting a little bit of a headache. I'm feeling a little bit sleepy. No. <laughs> oh, this car is a lot louder than I remember it being. <laughs> oh. So I guess uh, reusing the same exhaust gasket uh, oh. you know, was was a bad move. Um, yeah, it was leaking. And um, so... So yeah, that's another reason why I've not been driving it is it's uh, you know leaking carbon monoxide into the cabin. So um, <laughs> oh, after man. I realized what happened, I rolled down all the windows and uh, and drove home and and parked it. But um, yeah, I got a new gasket, and um, uh, if the EPA is listening, I'm definitely not going to put the uh, the old um, high flow cat back on there because that would be bad for the environment. But I will fix the gasket. No, that's, no there's they're they're catalytic converters. They they are good. Yeah. No, I'm I gonna have... definitely put the good catalytic converter on it for whatever value of good, you know, you think is good. I think it's fine. I'm putting yeah. I'm putting high flow cats on mine if I can ever if I ever get them, which I ordered however many I, months ago. But I, I, I unfortunately found myself in a circumstance last weekend where I was in the same crowd as like a tuner boy kind of guy who was real weird about it and just real weird in general and in an effort to not say anything mean i accidentally humiliated this poor kid (laughs) (laughs) what did you say um like i had said like somebody said something about how my van always smells like gas and i'm like yeah i don't think it's that it runs rich i think it's just that there's no catalytic converter to burn up the exhaust that you're not used to smelling and after a minute, he's just like, oh, like you deleted your cats. Like, what Like, what did you do? And I'm like, oh, no, dude, my van just is older than catalytic converters. Yeah. <laughs> and he's like, oh, yeah, I got rid of my cat so that I could have a, like a burple tune. And like the whole crowd of people that we're with, I, we're the only two car guys. So I'm the only one who actually knows what he <laughs> was talking about. And he like went out of his way to be like, oh, yeah, you know, I've got like a BMW that I've got like cambered and like I've got a burple tune on him, blah, 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 or burble or whatever it is. And I'm and like, all I could bring myself to say was, oh, okay. And everybody else is like, yeah, we don't care about your car. And then my one friend's like, what is a burble tune? And I'm like, it's just something you do to make your car sound like shit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. He's like, I think- he's like, oh, so it's like good for performance. And I'm like, I don't think so. No, it's not. <laughs> I think it's just annoying sounding. And the kid is just over there, like, obviously wishing he were dead. And I'm like, I'm sorry, man. I'm not going to pull any punches. I'm not trying to be mean. You've just chosen a terrible thing to do to your car. Yeah. Like, I I can't, because I had tried to explain to him that, like, what I learned from you, Connor, that, like, I'm like, dude, you can leave your cat in. It's not actually, like, you're probably going to lose single-digit horsepower, which is really easy to, like, compensate in other ways. And he's like, he's like, oh, well, I I put that, I took it out because the burble tune will, like, mess that up. And I'm like, no, it won't. No, it'll be fine. They're, well, they're worried because, like, oh, I people say, like, oh, you know, I wanted a flame tune, which is what those burble tunes are, is you can shoot flames and stuff. And I don't know. They say that's maybe not the best for your catalytic converters, but I'm not so sure. I mean, that shit gets, like, red hot. It's supposed to be hot. That's the point of them. So I don't think it, I don't think it matters. Um, I, have a, I was I have actually a, under the impression that it did, but if it didn't, then this kid's even dumber. Yeah. <laughs> well, just put cats on your car. It's like I'm sick of my car smelling like dog shit. I hate it. I hate, I'm like, my car smells like a piece of shit all the time. And it shouldn't. Cause I'm like, it's well, it's on a bad tune, but 
it's a normal working order for the most part. And I hate that it's um, gross smelling and uh, that it hurts the environment needlessly. Which, you know, look, if you don't have catalytic converters, whatever, I get it. Especially because sometimes, apparently now they're like crazy expensive. Like the prices of them have jumped. Um, I think it's like gone down a, a little bit, but it, I know for a while there it was because I think the only factories that were making them were in China and they were on lockdown or something like that. Yeah. Mm. So it's it like really it got bad for a while. So it's like, OK, I understand, especially when it comes to money. I'm not I'm not going to like judge anybody for not having cats. I'm, I'm really not. But like there are people who don't have cats because they're stupid. And then there's people who don't have cats because they can't afford it. They're just, they don't want to do the work. They already took them off. What, you know, I'm not judging too much, but this kid sounds like a moron. Oh yeah. He, well, he was clearly dropping BMW to like, try and like impress some of the girls at the table. (laughs) (laughs) But like, I I don't hang out with the kind of crowd that is impressed by a BMW. It was, it was a a situation where he had obviously like grotesquely misread the situation. (laughs) That's very yeah. funny. <laughs> I will say the only people who are impressed by my MR2 are the weirdest people ever. Oh, so. yeah, 100%. <laughs> Not necessarily the people that I want to be impressed by it. <laughs> oh, 100%. If me and this kid park next to each other, uh, people would be stoked about my van and be like, oh, and it's parked next to a BMW. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, to be I'm, fair, when I, when I hear about... Uh, James Gilboy's fucking MR2. That thing sucks. That that is a cool MR2. The coolest it is, of, I've ever heard of. <laughs> he's also put a lot of money into it. Um, I heard he's had also some... the shifter doesn't work still. From what I hear, <laughs> I mean that so sounds like it, me. Oh, it's I a spe- work in progress. <laughs> I spent double, you know, however many fucking digits on this car, and it's like, oh, it still runs like a piece of shit. <laughs> yeah, there's two types of cars, man. There's there's factory like bone stock, and there's works in progress. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but uh yeah, I, I was at the the auto parts store picking up the new gasket for my Sabaru and met this weirdo in the parking lot. It was like, "Oh, cool, MR2, man. I've got a second gen that makes 900 horsepower." I'm like, "What?" "Okay, yeah, sure you do, man. Okay." And then he started talking. I'm like, "Okay, maybe this guy does actually know his shit." And he was talking about how he's got a, a Honda K-Swap and you know, he's like, "Oh, you use this head and that engine block and this transmission and you put them all together and you do the the dalton sleeves and then you can up the boost to this level and i'm like okay Okay. all right (laughs) but uh definitely definitely a strange guy i I do sort of enjoy it when like somebody tells me something and i'm like you're an idiot and then they prove themselves correct like (laughs) like not not prove to me that they're an idiot but prove that they know what they're doing and that they know what they're talking about i respect that yeah, it's it's yeah. so easy to randomly say like, oh, I have a 900 horsepower MR2. But then like when someone explains what they did to accomplish that, you're like, holy shit, dude, good job. When they start talking about Dalton sleeves, you're like, oh, fuck, OK, <laughs> we ain't kidding. Even, even we... if you're lying and you're making 700 respect. Like, yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, those uh, those motors can do it. Yeah, he was, he was trying to convince me to put a K24 in my uh, MR2. That's the new hot thing right now. Putting putting K-series swaps and everything now. I mean, they are good motors. Like we were talking, yep. I was talking about them um, last time, but uh, or two episodes ago, whenever that was. I'll put one in my Econoline. <laughs> yeah, you know, we were we were ta- we were talking. Speaking of the K-series, we were talking off air about 
um, which Brian asked me if I knew anything about the new Z, and I said nothing, nothing new, just that they're awesome. Um, but I, I was just also thinking about the the uh, Integra that is now like being tested and it's out and whatever, and you can go and buy um, theoretically. Um, and I feel like that would be a fun comparison, compare, comparing the new Z to the um, new Acura Integra. Yeah. Because, yeah, the uh, the Integra, I got some thoughts on it. <laughs> I mean, it's it's basically just a, a Civic R with, you nope. know, more luxury, right? Nope, nope, nope. It's not even that. Not even close to that. Oh, really? Huh. <laughs> yeah. So I feel like that would be a fun comparison. Like, here's a car that went well. Here's a car that not so much. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. It's a whole thing. But anyway, sorry. Um, no, that's about all I have. I mean, I'm going to probably do an oil change on my MR2 tomorrow. That's, uh, that's about all I've got planned. And then, you know, do the, um, well, no, I got to I gotta get the uh, exhaust uh, fixed on the Sabre before I do that. So if I can do all that tomorrow, I will. But I got other stuff to do also. Nice. So, well, seems like a good plan. Well, uh, I'll keep you all updated next time, next episode. Yeah, let us know next episode when your uh, MR2 is making 900 horsepower. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> do that in two weeks. <laughs> Going to overnight some parts from Japan. Yeah. <laughs> Nice. Okay, well, uh, on that note, I suppose it's uh, it's on me then. Yeah, let's let's hear what's new with the, the Z. Okay, uh, nothing particularly new. Um, <laughs> it's just it runs like shit still. Um, but uh, I did go to Harbor Freight and get a bunch of shit so I can actually work on stuff myself to a certain extent. Um, and then. Tomorrow, I'm going to use the, uh, you know, the holiday to go over and hang out with some friends. And uh, we're going to try and do some basic diagnostics on the Z. So he's got like an oscilloscope and we're going to check various sensors and kind of go through like a procedure for figuring out what could be an issue. Um, See if we can rule some things out because I'm sure a lot of it's already been checked. But like if I can write it on the fucking checklist this was checked and it's not the issue um and i can eliminate a bunch of shit that might uh get me further along the path to possibly having a working car at some point but other than that i haven't done shit um if i have time tomorrow i may also adjust the uh brake drums uh or the shoes for the handbrake because uh, i'm pretty sure i mentioned this on the last one i'm fairly confident that they are wildly um mismatched and i think only one of them is engaging and i think it's engaging constantly and that's bad (laughs) so um so i have not been able to use my handbrake to initiate a drift or to scrub speed or anything while drifting so that's part of the reason that i have been very unconfident in my ability to drift the car which means i just i don't take the same kind of risks and stuff and i don't I haven't been doing stuff on the street lately, so um, mostly because I'm trying to take it easy on the car, but I think I'm getting impatient and I don't want to take it easy on the car anymore. It's like, well, it's got problems at idle, but it should it should be fine up at the top. I'll just go and uh, 
mash the gas and it should be fine. Um, you know, I probably will try and keep it under the new red line, which, you know, new red line is like 7,600 and the stock red line is 6,600. I think I will probably try and keep it under 6,000 if I can while drifting. Um, but in the next, I don't know, probably not next weekend, but, um, within the next, I don't know, three ish weeks, I would like to go and find an event and just go and drift it. Cause, uh, I am going to suck again. So it would be good to go and get some practice and I'm sick of waiting for the car to run perfectly to do that. Like I have, I have tires already mounted on wheels, ready to go. I have, I have a nice new jack that I can take to the track so I don't have to like use the the little scissor jack like I'm stuck on the side of the road, which is what I've been doing for all the years I've been drifting is going to the, going to the track with a scissor jack um, because I am I am working class trying to do this sport and it is hard. Um, so yeah, I, I try and do stuff as cheap as I can and as close to like being kind of stock ish. I don't know. I, I have limited resources, so I have not brought a proper jack to the track before. So that'll be a nice change. So, yeah, that's really all I got. Um, oh, and I don't know if I mentioned this. Uh, I tried to do those AC refill things because my AC hasn't been working. And when I measured it at first, it said there was nothing in there. And so then I sprayed some of the stuff and then it went into the green and the AC still does not work. So mm. I don't know what the cause is, if it's got a leak or something. I don't know. But uh, point being, it's hot. And my AC doesn't work. So uh, I would like to get that fixed soon ish. Uh, obviously, I don't have AC in anything, but the newest development on my piece of ship Ford is that uh, the like underneath the dash will heat up just from the dash lights. <laughs> Uh-huh. And not not like grotesquely so, but after about half an hour of night driving, when I have like the lights on, um, something is is causing my headlights to flicker out. Oh no! Shit! So I routinely have to pull over and just fiddle with wires until something <laughs> something That's happens fine. and my lights come back on, and then I have to hope that it lasts for more than another five minutes. Oh my god! I, I drove about two miles in the dark with no headlights last night. Ooh. at like three in the morning so it was not like there was a lot of people on the road and i was intentionally taking back roads to avoid problems but yeah it was stressful yeah very much but uh anyway that's i think that's all yeah. i really have for my car updates is i'm gonna be doing shit tomorrow so maybe i'll have more to say next time but uh i suspect probably not i will however have a bunch of fun over hanging out with some friends. So nice. Yeah. So that will be cool. Hell but, yeah. Uh, anyway, I think that's pretty much it for car updates then. So let me uh, take a quick uh, shot of Malort here and then we'll get, uh, we'll get into the main topic. Oh God, Malort. <laughs> I got to get rid of this bottle. Uh, the 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 drain is a good yeah. way. <laughs> no no no, I can't do that. Oh 
Yeah. I always, I always forget that you're a Malort person, but I, I don't think it's that I forget. I just think that I like you enough that I, tr- I block that out. <laughs> yeah, that's a, that's a pretty good response, I think. <laughs> you know, I don't know if this is true, but someone once told me that the guy that invented Malort was like a two-pack-a-day uh, smoker and just had no taste buds. And that makes a lot of sense to me. Huh. You know, I've noticed that um, now that you mentioned that, uh, Malort is a little bit harder to drink now that I have quit smoking for over a year. <laughs> <laughs> so, hmm, I, I used to like Malort, I think, more back when I smoked a lot. And now I'm like, boy, this stuff sure sure does taste stronger than it used to. And it's probably because I don't smoke anymore. And before that, I like cut down a lot. So, huh, maybe that's got something to do with it. If, if it makes you feel better, um, I used to like PBR before I got COVID, and now it doesn't taste as good. So, hmm. I can't imagine how bad it must taste to not taste as good. <laughs> well, Brandon's I, over I, there I don't with his. Smoke uh... and drink wild turkey voluntarily, so. <laughs> yeah, you're, you're the real connoisseur amongst us. I, I accept that. <laughs> No, no, I, no uh, sarcasm detected. <laughs> well, um, on that note, uh, I think it's time to start talking about uh, automation and the new AI designed car. All right. So um, for this, we will link in the um, in the show notes somewhere. I will link a video uh, which Donut Media did on this, um, which is pretty good. It's definitely worth watching. You can kind of visualize it a little bit better. Um, but I, that's kind of what led me to even like that's what put this on my radar. Um, so I kind of just did a little bit of a an overview on it. And then I kind of wanted to talk about, you know, what does this mean for, you know, us as leftists? How should we think about this kind of automation and stuff? Because obviously we're going to have a a little bit of a different perspective on how, how this relates to labor and economics than, you know, say your average um, non-leftist person. So anyway, that's kind of where we're going with this, but, uh, yeah. So, uh, basically we're going to be talking about, uh, a new hypercar. However, the most interesting thing about the car is the way it is designed and manufactured. Um, so this new car is designed largely by artificial intelligence is created with 3d printed parts and is produced in a way that dramatically reduces the time and space required to manufacture a vehicle. And you can bet that capitalism will probably find a way to make this innovation a bad thing, because it usually does. So, yeah, we've got that to look forward to. <laughs> Yippee. <laughs> so, um, all right. So so what is it that we're talking about here? What we're talking about is the uh, Zinger 21C, which I think the 21C stands for 21st century is essentially what it's kind of designating. Um and Zing- Zinger is spelled C, 
Z I N G E R. So if you're looking for it, is that uh, an AI AI generated spelling? <laughs> <laughs> it's a guy's name, isn't it? Yes, it is. It is the uh, capitalist in charge's name. And I do I do like that. You know, last uh, time we were talking about the 20th century motor car corporation, and now we're talking about the 21st yeah. century. <laughs> so um so that's how time works it continues moving forward yeah and yeah and as far as i can tell this one is not a scam uh at least they have made some vehicles they have made some via some vehicles they theoretically will be available like to buy in the first quarter of 2023 so and there is a pre-production model that people are currently driving so I have seen this car drive. It does exist. Um, and before, you know, we kind of get into it, like I- I'm going to, you know, talk about the car, talk about the process that this thing is made. I think it's important to kind of understand what's really at play here. This company is not like, oh, they're a, they're a hypercar company and they're just going to exist that way. That's not really what this is about. This car is a proof of concept, right? So this is just saying, hey, look what we can do with our AI and our manufacturing method. So that's what's important. And that is what this capitalist here is selling. He is not selling the car. I mean, he literally is selling the car. But like what he's really selling is a method for automation in general. Okay, so we will see this likely show up in other places but like that's what this guy is about it's not he's not trying to create a car company he's trying to create a new uh production method bryant you wanted to say something yeah i i was just gonna say this reminds me in some ways of um koenigsegg which Mm -hmm. a lot of what they do is um development and technology stuff so like they developed flex fuel they developed a lot of hybrid tech and like turbo tech mm-hmm. and then also the um croatian company uh Rimac or Rimets, i'm not sure how it's pronounced mm-hmm. that is one of the first like uh electric hypercar companies they mostly are a technology development company that has you know yeah. built this demonstration car and they're they're licensing a lot of the tech to other automakers so that seems like what uh, Zinger is doing also. Is that correct? It seems that way. Um, now, they are selling the cars, and they will probably continue to be a car company to some extent. But I- I'm just trying to introduce the idea that this is going to go a lot further than just a hypercar company. Because usually, you know, I don't find most hypercar companies to be that impactful and that important. You know, I'm like, oh, cool. They're making shit for rich people. I don't I don't really care. Some of the technology trickles down to regular cars. That's cool. But like, ultimately, that stuff doesn't fucking matter. This will, I think, matter to all working people uh, in the near future. Um, so I do think it's a little bit more important. I think there's broader implications here. Um, so, yeah, that's kind of why that's why I'm, I'm talking about it. Um, so I want to get that out of the way. Uh, I am going to have some relatively cool, awesome, nice things to say about it. 
Um, I'm not losing sight of the fact that this is, you know, capitalist bullshit, but uh, the car is cool. And a lot of what they're doing is objectively cool. It's probably bad for society, maybe. Although, you know, that's only because of capitalism. So once again, capitalism here is the problem, not the actual technology as usual. Um, so anyway, the uh, uh, Zinger 21C is a hybrid hybrid sports car developed using artificial intelligence and 3D printed by the American car manufacturer Zinger Vehicles. Manufacturing began in 2021 with a planned production run of 80 units and delivery starting early in 2023. Um, the 21C has a driver's seat in the central position and an inline passenger seat behind that of the driver, uh, minimizing the width of the cockpit. Yeah, so very unusual for what we're used to seeing in cars. So yeah. um, obviously it's it's more like a plane cockpit. And I guess, you know, as an aside, they use the whatever fucking stealth bomber plane as like, quote unquote, inspiration or something. Whatever. I don't know. That's the story. <laughs> they go into it in the video. Cool. Great. I'm all fine with that. I don't I don't really care that much what it's inspired by, but it is a very unusual seating position. Um, and it does make it a lot, you know, more narrow and it, it cuts down on weight and stuff. So I think it's kind of cool. Um, but yeah, definitely, definitely unique. Um, the 21C has a hybrid gasoline engine consisting of a bespoke twin turbo V8 of 2.88 liter capacity in the rear central position so sitting right behind the you know uh passenger compartment um liter capacity in the rear central position associated with two electric motors located on the front and powered by a lithium titanate battery so, hmm. never heard of that type of battery i don't know oh, i keep yeah. there's all kinds of new battery technologies that are being tested and whatever coming out all the time so you know, that's promising, I guess, for the future of electric vehicles is we're not locked into just lithium ion batteries because we obviously know that there's various problems with some of the batteries that exist. That technology is moving forward. How well that will work in the end, I don't know. But um, no, no names come to mind off the top of my head, but I've been seeing more and more stories about like different types of battery technologies being developed. Yeah. Uh, you have It'll be interesting to see what happens, but um, yeah. I try not to be overly optimistic. Yeah. So, Actually, I try not to be optimistic at all. <laughs> yeah. That's, things are bad. <laughs> <laughs> um, now, the combination uh, of the engine and the you know, the electric motors uh, provides 1,250 horsepower at 10,500 RPM. Uh, transmitted transmitted to the rear wheels via a seven-speed sequential transaxle uh, with hydraulic actuated multi-plate clutch. Um, so yeah, uh, it's it's cool. It's a hypercar. It's gonna be like a hypercar. Um, now the uh, the gas engine is very cool. Uh, it's kind of weird as well. Um, so it is a high revving, small displacement, flat plane crank V8 with two turbos. On its own, it makes about 950 horsepower, uh, which is pretty respectable for a 2.88 liter V8. Yeah. Um, 
but it only makes 550 uh, foot-pounds of torque. Now, I assume that's probably due to the fact that it, like, revs up to the fucking moon. Um, right. And it also only weighs about 2,900 pounds, so it's <laughs> it's pretty light for that much power. Yeah. So if you can imagine over 1,200 horsepower in a car that weighs under 3,000 pounds, it weighs less than my Z. So, uh, yeah, it's, it's fast. Um, so it is very cool. It's, um, and it's got the flat plane crank, which I think is, if I'm not mistaken, what they have in the Z06, uh, for the C8 Corvette. And like, that's what, I don't know. I forget what the flat plane crank really does, but it's like super duper well balanced. I don't think they've had it on a Corvette yet. There was the, um, the one Mustang, like the was like GT 350 or something like that. One of the more yeah. or 500 or something that had the, the special flat plane crank V8. Um, but mostly it's, it's been on like F1 cars, uh, Ferraris, that kind of thing. So very cool shit. <laughs> yeah. Um, which we're going to look this up real quick. Cause now I want to know, Aha! I think the haha Chevy Corvette Z06, the C8, uh, LT6 engine specs, deep dive into GM's new flat plane crank wonder. Oh, okay. So that's, so that's the new one that hasn't come out yet though. Right. Uh, something like that. Apparently yeah. it'll rev to 8,600 RPM. Oh my God. So <laughs> fucking cool. <laughs> so fucking cool. They are. Look, I, I forget. I've, I've looked into this before and I forget. Right. Cause I, I hear stuff and then it goes out my head two seconds later. Um, it's cool is the point. Yeah. Um, <laughs> now, I also think it's very cool to have like a very small displacement V8. Um, so like 2.88 liters, it's you can think of it like a three liter motor almost. But like so take like a little Honda 1.5 liter and then double it. And that's basically this fucking engine, which is super tiny, but also very cool. And I'm it sounds amazing. Um, so, yeah, it. I think they claim the red line is like 11,000 or 11,500 RPM, which is yes, just turn it up to 11. <laughs> <laughs> um, truly, truly bonkers. Um, but I assume that's why the horsepower is so much higher than the, the than the torque, um, because it's just able to just go way beyond normal, normal uh, rev range. So, um, yeah, yeah, very, very cool. Um, anyway, I've got a couple of articles um, that I have linked in my notes uh, that I'm going to read from because I didn't want to write the whole fucking an outline that is basically taking from these articles. So I'm just going to kind of read it a little bit. So uh, let me try and uh, bulldoze through this real quick. Um, <clears throat> so. The Zinger 21C is a screaming good 253 mile per hour proof of concept. Uh, the tandem seat 21C is incredibly fast, but it's the way it's made that could revolutionize the car industry. Uh, and spoiler alert, probably every other industry as well. Um, yes, the Zinger 21C is fast. Uh, I just got a ride around the Thermal Club's two mile long South Palm Road course in the hypercar's cramped back seat. So apparently passenger comfort, not not a big deal on this. 
Uh, in addition to seeing the back of IMSA driver Joe Miller's helmeted head, I can attest that the 21C is indeed mighty impressive around a road course. I would say among the fastest street legal cars I've ever driven or ridden in, uh, maybe the fastest without being harsh. In fact, I would imagine that from the far more spacious front seats, the Zinger 21C could seem like one of the best hypercars ever made. But you'd expect that it's a hypercar. In addition to a curb weight of just 2,910 pounds or so uh, at this point in its development, the car has 1,250 horsepower from a unique hybrid drivetrain for a ludicrous power-to-weight ratio of 2.3 pounds per horsepower, if we were to believe the spec sheet. Uh, and having just ridden in it, I do. 0 to 60 comes up in less than 1.9 seconds, oh. which is, yeah, cool. which admittedly is what the Tesla Model S Plaid Claims kind of do. does. Yeah, claims. Yeah. But it is very close. So to me, I'm almost like, man, this that is impressive, but I'm pretty sure this thing is better in every other way because, you know, that Plaid is not designed well and it is not good in corners or anything else really so you know fuck that car this car you know i think i think i heard someone talking about that a lot of these hyper cars are now at the limit of what the tires can handle as far as acceleration so like if any of them want to go faster there needs to be some development in in tires or they need to like switch to tank treads or something (laughs) to get more traction because they're all that's all. Yeah. That's the old Carol Shelby quote. That there's no such thing as too much horsepower, only not enough traction. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Basically. Um, then it also goes on to say the top speed is 253 miles per hour. Um, things are getting fuzzy and blurry again. Just thinking about it. But it's not even the biggest deal about this carbon fiber bodied howling two passenger screamer. The biggest thing and the thing that could potentially change the way the world designs and manufactures cars is the way it was designed and manufactured. Um, we wrote about it last year, but here's a recap. Most of the load bearing structural parts of the car were made by inputting the expected loads of whatever part you're making into a computer, uh, the computer coming up with the best possible shape to manage those loads. And then all that being sent to a 3d printer and printed. Yep. That's right. Printed in the future. We are going to be printing cars in pieces and then gluing them or bonding them. Uh, together bond enough parts in the right order and voila you have a hypercar automotive manufacturing in the last 140 or so years involved giant stamping machines whomping out steel or aluminum body panels that were then bolted onto extruded stamped or welded frame rails more recently extruded stamped or welded parts were then spot welded together sometimes as with lottie um, they were also glued but the shapes were more often assumed to be folded or bent metal that came into a factory as a big roll of flat steel. The Zinger is made by imagining whatever shape you might need and just oozing it out of a 3D printer in a process known as additive manufacturing. You don't settle for a piece made out of flat metal bent into shape that approximates what you need. You just make exactly what you need. Now, our place, uh, Zinger and parent company Divergent, um, you kind of need to have a frontal lobotomy on the way you think about, you know, uh, it, because of all the years of experience as to how to manufacture things becomes ingrained and blah, but this is all just, okay, this is just like 
oh, you got to think outside the box and blah, 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 you know, all that fluff. And we, we don't need that. Um, yeah, there's a, a genuinely a lot to be said about like rapid prototyping and 3D printing and its, its successes and shortcomings. Yes. Like, like, I don't know exactly what their process is, but like 3D printing metal has inherent shortcomings that are like almost insurmountable. And then I recently found out like literally this week how people are surmounting those insurmountable <laughs> hurdles. Yeah. yeah. And, and it's, it's not really the way that you think, but it's ingenious enough that I'm like, okay, this, this technology is almost limitless. Yeah. It, it, it is surprising how I didn't think I was like, I didn't, I thought this was going to be like, you can make plastic shit and that's it. So, uh, no, uh, apparently this puts out like powdered metal in layers and it'll like put out this powdered metal and then it'll use like a very high powered laser to like essentially weld it to the existing thing. But it does it in such small layers that like it, it's not like a you know sloppy weld or anything. It just adds a little bit at a time. And it, 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 that specific type of 3D printing is still has a lot of problems. Oh, OK. Well, apparently there's other whatever. If anyone who's ever done any sort of like TIG welding or, or uh, will, when you, when you put enough heat to the metal, it becomes a glob. It, it, it becomes spherical. Mm-hmm. Like if you just take a small piece and when you laser weld powdered metal, it does that on a microscopic scale where there are inconsistencies. So mm-hmm. it's, it's still like, but like the way people are getting around it is doing very elaborate, like uh, 3d printed sand casting molds. Mm-hmm. And um, so they're not 3D printing like blocks and stuff, but like I guess F1 teams now are 3D printing the mold so that they can get like the benefits of a cast block, but with like the design, um, like getting past the shortcomings of traditional sand casting. Hmm. Yeah. I've also <laughs> seen um, this kind of like laser centering. Uh, uh, manufacturing process where at least with like stainless steel, they'll 3d print something in stainless steel, center it together with the laser. And then they'll use um, a metal with a lower melting point, like copper to fill in the gaps in between all those welded bits of metal and sort of make it sort of glue it together. Ooh, um, I am interested to know more about that. Yeah. So it's basically, you know, copper melts at a much lower temperature than stainless steel. So you just, get it hot enough to melt the copper and it kind of flows into all the little gaps and voids and everything. Um, that makes sense. Yeah. And I think, I mean, like the company I work for right now um, does a lot of stuff with uh, centered powdered metal. It's not 3d printed. It's just molded like a sandcastle or whatever. And then same deal. It's, it's uh, a combination of copper and uh, stainless steel. And um it works pretty well from what I understand um, for, for what they're using it for. But um, I don't know. I, I don't know how it would work with aluminum. I, I think also like if you're welding aluminum, it, it screws with the, um, the heat treat, the temper or whatever. So I imagine that they would have to like take these parts after they're out of the printer and heat treat them in an oven for a while to get them to the right um, temper that they want. Yeah, they, they don't that mention can be true for a lot of metals. Yeah. yeah, yeah, they don't mention it specifically, but that is very possible. I mean, the point the point is, however, however they are doing the actual printing, these parts are working, <laughs> and like the car drives and exists, and 
is being produced and as far as I know will be delivered starting early next year. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm bringing anything. this up less to like criticize this company and more saying that like even though there are still some shortcomings to like some of these processes, it's really like opening up a whole world of like like yeah de- like development. Well, and that's yeah. and that's really that's where I'm trying to that's where I'm going with this is like this shit is this is a this is a proof of concept that works apparently. <laughs> I'm like okay, oof. We should be a little bit nervous about this. Um, yeah, it, it's however they're doing it. The parts are working and they're working very well. Um, and, and this is a good time to mention, um, which, you know, if you're a listener and you haven't, you know, you, you can watch the video that we post as well. But like you can also look up just images of this car. And I'm sure if you just type in the name of the car you will get the kinds of images that will show you how these things are being designed because it's very interesting. What the computer is able to design is very different than what a a typical engineer will come up with. Um, And it looks, it's finding creative like shapes to make these like load bearing parts. They look almost organic in a way, like um, almost like a bone structure. And it'll like, it'll thin out the metal in one place, but then it'll add a small truss here and there. And it's just, it finds a very efficient way to reduce weight while also being strong. And it's probably stronger than most, you know, most suspension parts and whatever, uh, and frame kind of parts. And that's the, the kind of the benefit of using an artificial intelligence is it can, it can do this stuff unlike any human engineer. Which is yeah, I, I like that the basic concept, especially like when you're saying like how organic these parts look, is that like we're using computers to try and like figure out what evolution has been doing for <laughs> millions of years. Right. Well, and 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 I'm going to talk about the way in which the AI works uh, a little bit later, but it is essentially doing what evolution does, just much faster, and that's how it comes up with these. And that's why it looks like what you see around you. This is almost like not that evolution needs any further proof, but like this is proof that evolution works because it's like, oh, when we plug this stuff into a computer, it spits out essentially the same kinds of structures that we would expect to see. So, yeah. Um, so anyway, yeah, that's that's just the, the, the 3D printing allows for a very different kind of looking parts i mean and people you'll see people describe this like it looks like an alien car and it's like yeah it kind of does um but it works very well um in 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 so many ways but um so one of the things they they use an example here consider for example a uh, a part at the rear of the car that combines a brake caliper and a suspension upright into a single piece those are two structures that typically don't help each other out um, and they kind of live apart on most cars. And we've been able to combine those and, and get the structures to help one another. That's great, like easy to get your head around example of what the technology can offer. So it, it, it does find very interesting solutions for ways to like reduce weight and stuff that human beings haven't come up with yet. And, well, that, you know, I guess they're not really... Uh building this for the home mechanic but like 
what happens if you have a bad brake caliper and you need to, you can't take it off the knuckle to, to, um, you know, get it rebuilt or whatever, I guess. Um, who knows? I mean, (laughs) one, you wouldn't do that on this car anyway, but like in the future, it might not necessarily go that far, but yeah, we already see that today to some extent. Like this part is now that this part is doing two, three jobs. Uh, yeah, it's more expensive when it breaks. Um, so we do kind of see that a little bit already. Um, so that's kind of just the natural progression. And because there's a profit motive, there's every reason to continue that. (laughs) So, um, yeah, but, uh, because it's 3D printed, the piece was designed with the brake lines inside. There's no separate brake fluid line outside the caliper upright or slash upright. Uh, it was designed into the piece to save weight, complexity, and cost. Um, everything on the car is like that, basically. Uh, from the accepting point where they where the hood latch engages to the structure of the car to the aluminum matrix that holds the steering column to the dash. It all looks... Um, a little like alien creatures clinging throughout the car. Um, now Kevin calls it alien technology, whoever Kevin is, I don't know, but, um, or he likes to say this is the West world of cars, uh, or a factory where a bunch of aliens landed and they set up their manufacturing process says Lucas Zinger, a uh, son of company founder, Kevin Zinger. So this is a good place to pause and point out that now we're talking to this guy's son. So if anyone was wondering what was going to happen to this company, it's going to go to the son who was born in the right family and who will therefore be more successful than anyone listening to this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Cause he had the, he had the right bootstraps or whatever. <laughs> he had the wherewithal to work hard to be born into the right family. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, I wish I had been that hardworking as uh, an essence absence of a of a body before conception. <laughs> well, you Don't see we all? The, the the shape of their skulls uh, shows us that they have the <laughs> genetic predisposition to own a car company. <laughs> uh, <laughs> oh yeah, that's uh, man. Yup. So anyway, uh. More, more, you know, it's just taking a quick little jab at uh, capitalism there. But uh, I did like the description of the West world of cars. Um, so if anyone's ever watched West world, I'm like, yeah, that's, that's what's going on here. That's something uh, that we want to happen. <laughs> I mean, it, it doesn't have to be dystopian, but I'm it's, we live under capitalism, so it will be, but theoretically this technology on its own could be good. It just, won't be because of capitalism um but um so continuing on here the uh zingers along with a cast of hundreds of engineers designers and even scientists are working in the company's torrens california facility uh, to not only design and build the 21c but to export the whole process to other car makers many of whom are uh buying into it look for similar parts on a well-known manufacturer's production car come this september so I don't know who that is, but um, yeah, this technology is already leaving the, the uh, Zinger company. Um, but even with all that rapid reduction in company to manu- does, oh, excuse me, even with all that rapid reduction in design to manufacture process, the company brags about 
you'll have to wait until August 2023 for a Zinger 2021C, uh, and you'll need about $2 million. Um, they did say early 2023 before, so I don't know what this is about, but um, maybe this is a later article. Anyway, um, yeah, they'll cost about $2 million. Um, <clears throat> and um, Cool, man. I'll take two. Yeah, <laughs> uh, they so they and by the way, they start at two million, uh, but they're usually optioned around two million and five hundred thousand. Um, oh, might have to do might have to finance that one then. You <laughs> might have to. I'll, finance. Just, I'll just buy one and not both. Yeah. Yeah. Um, now, I do think that that's interesting that they are this expensive. Um, I think part of it is they are using alloys of metal that normally are just outrageously expensive. Number one. So like, but this process, the manufacturing process is cheaper. I want to be clear about this. It's not like, oh, well, this thing that we're talking about is more expensive. It is not. What costs them a lot of money is that a lot of this stuff essentially didn't exist before this company. And um, and I think I have another article we're going to try and uh, get through that goes into, I, I mean, like this guy had a hand in helping to create the 3d printing machines. Okay. So like it's coming. <laughs> so part of the reason the costs are so high are materials Two, it's a market and I'm, they think they can get away with charging $2 million for this car. And I think they're fucking right. Um, and three, the, there was a lot of upfront investment um, for now that will not always be the case because um, especially now the stuff exists. So a lot of that investment um, is already being used. Um, so that's just something to uh, keep in mind a little bit. Um, yeah. I, uh, I, I think the, there's still a patent um, for those uh, powdered metal 3d printers which is why you can't just go and buy one for $200. Like you can like a regular plastic extrusion um, mm -hmm. 3d printer, you know, those were used for, for years before uh, in industry, they were used in industry for years before they became uh, cheap enough for, um, you know, hobbyists to use. And that's because they, they had the, this patent on them and, you know, that made it a lot more expensive. So once those patents run out for powdered metal, I, I could see this becoming uh, a little bit cheaper in the future, this technology. Definitely. I vaguely recall reading one time that these powdered metal specifically is actually expensive just in its own right as a medium to print with. Yeah. Like the price of technology always comes down, but I, I don't think that you're ever especially likely to get to the point where you have like the, $500 desktop 3d titanium printer. Yeah. Right. Well, and I do also know that, you know, all that powdered metal can be hazardous. Like, you know, you don't want to breathe it in and you also don't want to like get a cloud of it drifting through your computer and short circuiting everything. Uh, so you like, you have to keep it pretty well contained and keep everything clean. That being said, like there is a long history of CPM being like an incredibly like hard like tool and die material, compressed powdered metal. Yeah. Um. Mm. So it, like this won't be compressed powdered metal; it will be like printed, which will be like structurally a lot different. But again, like it's always going to be really interesting to see where this technology goes. Definitely. 
Um, yeah, which I, I then basically I have another article. It's actually from the same uh, people they wrote about it earlier, and this is from Auto Week. Um, so I just want to go into this because it goes into the manufacturing process a little bit more, and I think that's really the crux of what we're talking about here is the car is cool, um, but the the you know everything else around it is what we're really here to discuss. Um, so. Uh, the other article, which they link to in the article I just read, which I'll link both of these in the show notes. Um, so this is titled, does the Zinger 21 C supercar herald the 3d printed future of car making, uh, known, known formally as additive manufacturing or AM in the business. The process can make almost anything, even a car. So At first glance, it was just another supercar being hyped by its millionaire maker as the fastest thing since Warp Factor 6. Uh, Granted, the Zinger 21C was fast and blah, blah, blah. Okay. Um, Bunch of, you know, stuff we don't need. Um, And it did lap the uh, Laguna Seca in 125.45 seconds, which is apparently a record. Um, So it is obviously very fast around a road course. Uh, there was no disputing that. Uh, it said, so right in the press release, uh, Zinger, uh, the trailblazing company that uses revolutionary design and manufacturing technologies to build state-of-the-art homologated high-performance vehicles, has set a new lap record at uh, Laguna Seca Raceway, um, smashing the old record by an astonishing two seconds, which is very fast. Um, the um, Note the exclamation mark. True, the 21C had a proprietary 2.88 liter twin turbo V8 located right behind its two tandem seats, aided and abetted by an 800 volt electric drive system with one motor for each front wheel, making a total of 1,233 brake horsepower. So it could do it. Having seen so so many such releases, however, we were skeptical. For instance, the release said lap record. Then it goes into technically it has to be produced and blah, blah, blah. We don't need to get into that. Um, so it's going to talk about a bunch of stuff with these lap records. Doesn't matter. This thing exists in the real world. It went around the, the track, did really fucking well. Um, so let's just move on with the article. Um, the biggest news about the Zinger is not how fast it'll go, but how it and its maker will change the way cars are manufactured. Um, For the last 118 years, since Henry Ford built the first assembly line in Highland Park, Michigan, cars rolled down a line and had parts added to them by human workers. Those parts were cast, stamped, extruded, sintered, or machined, and then all the parts were bolted, uh, riveted, welded, or even glued together. Once you did enough of that, you had a car. Kevin Zinger, for whom the lap record supercar is named, has a different idea making him potentially the Henry Ford of the new millennium. Oh, okay. Jesus. What a <laughs> sentence. Also this fuck Henry Ford <laughs> cannot be said enough. Fuck that guy. Um, yeah, how, how anti-Semitic is this uh, zinger? Guy? <laughs> I don't know. I haven't looked into him yet, but um, I, I will have, you know, I'm sure it's bad. If you look into these people, <laughs> you know, they're rich. They're probably awful. Um, So, uh, instead of all that extruding, stamping, bolting, and riveting, Zinger has developed a system based around additive manufacturing or additive layer manufacturing, which is the industrial production name for 3D printing. 
AM is a computer-controlled process that creates three-dimensional objects by depositing materials in layers in whatever shape they've been computer-programmed to become. In the case of car making, the material is usually some kind of aluminum alloy, but there are many, many materials that can be used. Uh, Zinger didn't invent additive manufacturing, 3D printing, or robots, of course, but uh, he has a new way of bringing them all together. Most of the system is newly invented with about 500 patent filings, Zinger said. Uh, it is a new system architecture, in-house purpose-built software and hardware for the three subsystems, and there is a new vehicle architecture. Um, and this just goes into, wait, who's Zinger? And we don't really need to know too much about this guy. Um, oh, I guess it's a, all right. This is important. Uh, wait, who's Zinger? Kevin Zinger is something of a manufacturing revolutionary. He has a manufacturing facility in Torrance, California, unlike uh, any you may have seen. In one huge room, there are a number of large industrial AM machines printing parts or adding layers until they've printed a part. Uh, in another room is a circle of robots centered around whatever it is they're manufacturing. As the parts are printed and then delivered to the robots, the robots grab them in their computer-controlled hands and glue them together. Glue enough of them together and you have a car. Uh, Zinger is putting together not only the manufacturing process and facility I saw in Torrance, but has plans to set up similar custom-built facilities all over the world. In most applications, you get a much more efficient part in terms of increased strength and decreased weight. In the conference room where we were t talking there were a number of automotive assemblies, all looking a little like the all looking a little like the creature in the Alien movies, um, which is kind of an accurate description. Um, I said that I like the look of a brake assembly, for instance, um, and he responded, "That's taking almost fifty percent of the mass out of a combined subsystem." So, like, this system is really good for weight reduction. Um, but uh, this, this article kind of um, glosses over this a little bit. L let me tell you a little bit about this manufacturing process. These uh, robotic arms that they use, I think it's like two or three of them will be in an area uh, with whatever footprint it is. And it's probably an area that is about, I forget what it was. It was like 30 feet by 30 feet or something. Wh whatever it is, it's not a huge area. And these robots are, these robot arms are like enormous. I think they're like 50 feet tall or something they said. Oh, and wow. yes, they are, they are fucking huge. And if I'm not mistaken, they said one of them like holds up the car, right? That you are building and flips it around any which way you want. The other arm is placing parts and everything. So I think there's like three of them, whatever it is. I, I think the donut video goes into more about this a little bit. Um, but I just want to give like an overview here. So these parts are 3D printed in one room. Then they are brought to these robots and they can do pretty much anything. So imagine if like building a car instead of like going down an assembly line where people, you know, put parts on the car and do all their shit. This is more like you building a Lego car, right? You've got two fucking hands, but like you pick up the car, you put the little piece on there and then you put the next piece, and then you put the next piece. So it is a, a world in which we have created robots that act like human hands, but like way more precise and computer guided. And they will cut out every second of, you know, no bathroom breaks, no, Oh fuck. I put this on wrong. Oops. I put this one on backwards. 
None of that. It is computer controlled. It cannot go wrong. <laughs> okay. So these arms are very expensive, of course, but they're a lot less expensive than having an entire um, manufacturing facility like that is the size of a city. Right. So like an assembly line is incredibly expensive. A few of these robots is also expensive, but it is not expensive at all compared to, you know, the alternative. So the other thing is this essentially this process, the footprint that it requires is far smaller than, you know, the Ford plant or, or a Toyota plant. Like they don't even compare this can be done in your average warehouse, right? So when you're driving down the road and you see one of those big uh, warehouses where they got all the truck bays and everything, um, a warehouse like that could house dozens of like these robots where they build out these cars. So like we find ourselves in a situation where what the River Rouge plant, uh, the Ford River Rouge plant in, in Detroit can produce um, your average size warehouse could produce more cars in less time using a system like this. And so that is kind of the scale of like how revolutionary this change, this innovation actually is. Um, so yes, very important. Um, to, to take note of that. Like, I don't want to, I don't want to undersell it. This is this is cheaper, it is faster, and it uses a lot less fucking space, and therefore, you know, further reducing cost. But Connor, if we automate all of these processes, what will people do for jobs? Um, I don't know. <laughs> I do not know. Um, and that's essentially where we're going to take this um, argument um, in a little bit. And I don't have any good answers for that because I, I don't know. I have no idea. I have no conclusions. I'm just pointing out that uh, this automation is coming and it's not just going to be relegated to cars. So get ready for that. Um, I was I was half just being sarcastic because it's it's worth remembering the automation rarely at, like to take a page from the Luddites in the most literal sense, not in like the colloquial like idea of what Luddites were. Like yeah. they recognized that technological advancement did not actually benefit them. It wasn't that they were anti-technology. It was that they recognized the dehumanizing nature of taking a skilled craftsman and putting him at one station in an assembly line sort of thing. Um, yeah. And here we're seeing the next logical progression where we're taking them out of the assembly line and just saying like, well, you should work harder to have a job and, and do the bootstraps thing. But also there are no jobs left because we automated them all. Yeah. So, yep, pretty much. Um, now, uh, just continuing on here. Um, uh, Singer is putting together not only the manufacturing process and facility I saw in Torrance, but has plans to set up similar custom built factories around the world. Oh, I read this already. Sorry. <laughs> um now, he goes on to say, this is digital manufacturing, as it will be in the future, Zinger said. Today, we're printing at a rate that if you took the very fastest machine on the planet, we're printing 50, 15 times faster than that. I don't know what that quote means, because um, like, if you took the fastest thing on the 
planet. I don't know how you're going faster than that. So uh, <laughs> maybe a weird quote, but whatever. Um, he worked with the makers of AM machines um, to get the speed and accuracy he wanted. He sees what he's doing uh, as a revolution akin to the move from typewriters to computers, which uh, admittedly, this is probably bigger than that. Um, specifically, the first IBM Selectric typewriters that had two lines of memory, um, which we're not going to go through that example. Just it's pointless. <laughs> um <clears throat> Uh, we we architected an entire system for design, print, assembly, and with that, and what that really means, which is that all that all of the constraints are computer generated, including how you manufacture and how you assemble equipment that prints at the right rate and quality with the right materials. And then we have an automated assembly system that's completely fixtureless. The assembly system can go from doing a full scale large drone to a battery electric SUV with zero switchover time. None of the hardware ever changes, um, which is the part that I kind of left out um, when I was explaining how these robots work. They don't have to, like, there's no changing of equipment. They just, you plug in the next program and it'll build the next thing that you tell it to build. So there's no, like, in auto plants today and other large manufacturing facilities, you have to like change over stuff. When you change a product, it's like a whole process. It could take a week or a month to change over all the machinery to produce this next product. Um, this is like putting a thing in the microwave. Like you just hit your buttons and okay, it's going to run this program now. No change. I can't wait till it becomes a situation where like, Either 0% or 100% of products get recalled because everything was made exactly to spec, but somebody just fucked the spec up. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, I was going to say, I have my doubts on this working perfectly all the time, every time. You know, like, I've I've worked in machine shops for, uh, I don't know, eight years now, and, like, there's always something that fucks up, or there's, there's something that, like okay, if you're switching from making this thing to another thing, it's not like you just press a button. You got to change out all your tooling, you know, make, make a new fixture, you know, uh, tweak the code because uh, the weekend shift guy fucked it up or whatever. So, like, there's all kinds of ways that, you know, like a yes. lot of people think that CNC machining is just you put in the 3D model and then you press the go button and it turns a hunk of aluminum into the finished part. And that's very far from the truth. Well, so I think one of the things that I'm going to be talking about um, is there are still going to be jobs that need to be done, and it's going to be fixing the fuck-ups of yeah. things <laughs> like you just said, but that's going to be the jobs that are required, which is a lot less than the jobs that we currently have now. Um, so that, you know, of course, things will fuck up and whatever, but there shouldn't be very much, it, it shouldn't be as difficult uh, to change over systems with this kind of uh, method, supposedly. Um, now, this person says, um, I got to see the system, uh, but much of it is proprietary, so I can't discuss a lot of the details, uh, but he had me sold. Sure looked like the future to me. Uh, we had a first principle idea, which was uh, re- to remove all the hard tooling from the manufacturing process so that we could have a hardware base that adapted to any design, said Kevin Zinger's son, Lucas Zinger, who surely will take over the company at some point, as we've already discussed. Um, 
a who is also a Yale graduate in electrical engineering because daddy sent him to the expensive school and uh, had enough money to make sure he got through it. So um, we can uh, we can do that rear frame, do a custom rear frame, do a full chassis just by changing the software. No hardware changes. Uh, about a year ago in October 2020, uh, the Zingers birthed a beta version of this new process, and it seems to do what it was designed to do. For our OEMs, uh, we were able to show a print rate 50% faster than they needed for value production and an assembly rate about 35% faster than they need for full volume production, Kevin said. We have a dozen programs for multi-component structures, said Kevin. Our first production programs are going to be in vehicles uh, on the road in early 2022. And these are with brands that are within groups that are in the top five global automotive groups by annual volume. So just to review, it's computer design parts, 3D printers printing those parts, which are assembled by robots in a much smaller space than typical assembly lines. Um, so no more River Rouge. These singers say that car makers could replace assembly lines that had been a mile long with assembly stations like the one I saw, greatly reducing the lead time, cost, and complexity of car making. And you can switch the car model that you're building with every new assembly. No more downtime during model year changeover. And all those spare parts car makers have to keep in, a, in warehouses for 10 years, they will be replaced by instant 3D printing of whatever spare part you need. So this is a really, so is this really a brave new world uh, that has such robots in it? Um, and then a quote, uh, 3D printing offers the chance to pretty dramatically reduce how much effort you have to put into assembly, said Peter Zielinski, editor-in-chief of additivemanufacturing.media. So something like a car's chassis or even just a component like the assembly around the wheel, the wheel carrier, um, you think about all the little parts from many different places that are riveted together or welded together or held with fasteners. You could just take that entire complex form and just 3D print that as one solid metal piece, which is interesting. Um, while car makers have used additive manufacturing or just plain old 3D printing for years, it's never been optimized on such a large scale. Additive manufacturing has been used in the auto industry for some time, but uh, the last few years we have really seen accelerated growth in the technology, said Ali Shabir, GM Engineering Group Manager for Additive Design and Manufacturing via email. General Motors sees value in three key areas. Prototype parts for rapid iterative development of components and greatly reduces tooling costs while increasing agility in providing functional pre-production parts. Manufacturing tools can be printed to be lighter and more ergonomically designed for assembly operators, all while significantly reducing lead times. Localized printing is also promising, is also a promising technique, as additive manufacturing engineers in Warren, Michigan could design a part and then send the designs to be printed at assembly plants around the world. Production parts are the latest application of additive manufacturing we have implemented. Um, based on volume cost and build complexity, a business case for each production part needs to be made. Um, Toyota doesn't use uh, additive manufacturing very much. Uh, very little for inline production, Toyota said in response to a question about AM's presence in production. Most of 3DP applications are proto parts, proto tools, proof of concepts, uh, occasionally spare part manufacturing. The largest utilization of 3DP is for prototyping and pre-production purpose. 
Toyota doesn't see it as a major contributor to mass production yet either. Um, not with current technology, 3DP cycle times are very long, uh, unless we batch production of 3DP parts or use it for low option manufacturing. For our prototype and prove out, we use it a lot, said Andre Hudson, head of product design at INDIEV. Um, but in the production, there's just so many challenges. It's a whole different thing. The materials, the thicknesses of materials process to make it durable enough to actually be put in a product that you're going to sell to somebody to use. I still think we're quite a ways off. So point being, there's there's a case that this stuff's coming imminently. There's a case that, hey, you know what? This technology still needs some growth, whatever. But like like pretty much all past technology improvements, I suspect that those improvements will come relatively soon and we will be dealing with the consequences of that uh, soon enough. Um, so I just want to skip ahead a little bit here. Um, I'm so tired of living with consequences. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay. Anyway, so it, the, it continues on a little bit, but uh, the, the, the last line here is, is I think sums up where we're at right right now in the article and it just says so expect to see lighter cars made from less material at what could be a lower cost but just maybe not this week so that's kind of where we're at with that um so i wanted to get through those articles i know that was a bit of a slog but it's important to understand the system that we're talking about and so i'm hoping that you can kind of see that like yeah the car we were talking about is very cool don't get me wrong but like the process is what this company exists to sell. That is the point of this company is this new manufacturing process. And we are going to see consequences from this. You know, so we'll see. Um, basically, to sum all that up, the AI designs better than any human engineer could. And it's not even close. Uh, we'll get into why that is shortly, but on top of that, the additive manufacturing process allows for the production of parts that would be otherwise impossible to make by more traditional methods. And then, instead of piecing the parts together on an assembly line in a facility that is the size of a small city, uh, with parts made by hundreds of other smaller producers spread around the country or the world, the car can be built in place with just two or three large robotic arms. A system that could allow um, for a large warehouse, I don't know, smaller than the typical Amazon warehouse, I'm sure, uh, to produce more vehicles than the auto plants in Detroit. This is a massive leap in the productive forces. Now, historically, leaps like this have led to major social upheavals. Marx noted that this within his framework of historical materialism. When the productive forces advance to a certain point, they require a different political economy. The material conditions force this change, right? It's not voluntary. It's just, it, it cannot go on the way it, that it has. Now, the material, um, could that be what's happening now? Uh, that, there's a question mark on that. I do not know the answer. Uh, first, the computer, then the internet, and now AI and manufacturing advances, advances that threaten the stability of the current capitalist system. I don't know, maybe. Um, so, I mean this is a time to maybe reflect a little bit on what socialists have said about automation in the, in the past. But um, one thing I will caution people with is, I mean, we've had automation this whole time. And I think Marx 
predicted that capitalism would be overcome by this contradiction much sooner than it has been. Um, I would expect that too, but um, theoretically it, it has always found a way to make this, this work. Um, but I, I'm not sure if that can continue. Like, like I said, we had the development of the computer and then the internet and now this, you know, what's going to be left for human beings to do, you know, and, and if they lose, if we lose too many jobs, you know, who's going to buy the fucking products that are being made, right? This is the classic contradiction um, that automation, you know, presents is you can make stuff cheaper. We can get rid of workers, but when we do that, there's no one to buy our shit. So how capitalism rebounds from that, I don't know, but I, I will say it has admittedly done a pretty good job of that so far. So I don't want to like be too optimistic and say, well, the productive forces have advanced enough that we're just going to have to have something different. But um, I, I don't know that that would be a smooth process or that it would happen in 10 years. But, you know, I'm thinking the way this technology seems to be developing 10 or 15 years, it'll be pretty widely adopted, I would think. And then, you know, I, I don't I don't know what happens. I know in a socialist system, this could liberate people from work, right? Exactly what we often talk about. We could have, we could work less hours. It could be people over, you know, overseeing the machines rather than toiling away. And that could be a good thing, but that's not really how it works under capitalism, which is what we have now. So I don't know if you guys have any thoughts on, on that. Um, I'm sure you probably do, but um yeah, I don't I don't know exactly where to go with that. My thought is that like I am not really a proponent of UBI. Like free money's cool, but I think that it is just like avoiding the actual problem. I th- I think that the only way like when you have a process this automated, like while it just applies to like a high-end hypercar, whatever, but if it's able to spread to like all sectors of the economy, I don't see any way you avoid UBI because at that point, like you have a population that continues to grow and a workforce that continues to shrink. And at some point, if you want people to even be able to yeah, purchase the goods being produced, something's got to give. Yeah. And, and this, this conversation lends itself pretty naturally to the UBI discussion. Um, and that's always been talked about but like you say that's kind of just like buying time right it's and we we find ourselves in this weird you know place where it's just like there will be more jobs like there will be jobs designing these programs that run these machines there will be jobs to oversee the machines there will be jobs to you know fix the fuck ups there still be sales jobs probably um but like we're looking at like there is a very real chance that all trucking jobs will be automated in the next 20 years, maybe even sooner. So all of those jobs, this is now, you know, we thought that automation wasn't going to come for some of the white collar jobs, those like engineering jobs and shit. And I haven't gotten into it yet, but um, this is coming for engineering jobs too. So we've got, AIs that design better than humans can do. And so like 
We don't have as much need for as many engineers. We don't need as many people making parts, right? And it's not just like, oh, here's an automaker in this big giant plant that is being replaced here. There's also the dozens and dozens or hundreds of other smaller producers who make parts for all these companies, right? Like I used to do that uh, trucking job and I delivered to parts makers in Ohio, Michigan all the time all over the fucking place, all these little fucking parts producers, all of those jobs. I mean, all the warehousing jobs, all of that stuff, it goes away. And so outside of a UBI, how does capitalism address this? I mean, I don't want to underestimate it and think that it's impossible just because I can't come up with a solution. So far, capitalism has proven to be very resilient. And I think that any... I think that any um, leftist that doesn't recognize that is being a little bit of a fool. Okay. We capitalism, if we were correct back in the 19th century, capitalism should have already collapsed and it didn't. It's very, very adaptive, adaptable. Could it adapt to this? I, I don't know. I mean, I suspect it probably will in some, some capacity. Um, it might not in the rest of the world, but like we're the imperial core. We're probably the last place that socialism is going to come. And so, I I don't know. I think capitalism can probably survive it for a while. But yeah, maybe it's UBI. I don't know. And I've heard heard pro-UBI cases and anti-UBI cases from leftists too. And I I really don't know which way I fall on that personally. It is what it is. It it feels like a dim sock position to me. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I, uh... I mean, I guess I kind of like what you're saying earlier, like, or someone was saying earlier, um, you know, there's the, we can look at this in the, in the lens of like, what would this look like in an idealized socialist society in the future? And then, or we can look at it, like, what are the consequences for it for here today with the world that we're living in now? And like, it doesn't look great uh, for at least for jobs you know, in the current system, but like, I could see how, like you said, it would, could be a liberatory thing for a socialist system where you have some kind of, if not a UBI, then maybe like a, some kind of universal basic minimum, you know, where everyone's provided for in some way or another, not through money necessarily. Um, but like, but yeah, like I, I do, I do think that there is like, we are talking off air about, like there's a lot of work that needs to be done and like the whole UBI thing is kind of a first world privilege sort of thing. Like here in America, a lot of, you know, what we take for granted is supported by um, exploited workers in the global South. Like yep. whether they're, um, you know, like palm oil farmers in Indonesia, you know, that are um, like working crazy hours and you know destroying the rainforest to to make oreos for us you know here uh, or, or shampoo or whatever i hate the i just every time i think about it i just i i hate wells up inside me yeah um, yeah so like I, you can you can automate all these things like you can you know have an entire factory that makes oreos that's automated and like maybe even the the wheat and the sugar and stuff is farmed by 
automated machines in Ohio or, or Brazil or whatever, but like the cocoa and the palm sugar and all that other shit is going to come from some exploited person in a, in a tropical country somewhere, you know, you know, actually that, that brings up another weird point to me of how capitalism works. And, you know, people think that, Oh, capitalism breeds innovation. And I would argue that obviously any socialist would argue against that pretty simply, but I think it's very stark when you say, this technology fucking exists in the first world, but not in like the global South. Like, yeah. how do you how do you justify that? Because it's like we don't share any technology. So like there are parts of the world that are like, oh, well, they're like 50 years behind in terms of access to certain technologies, not because they can't make it, not because they're not smart enough, not because of anything else, but simply because they do not have money or sufficient economic conditions to justify it to me that is just inexcusable that is what holds back innovation around the world and and that's part of the way capitalism i think has dodged some of these other um contradictions is that it just moves shit to the global south right oh there's a problem with this okay we'll just exploit the global south more right oh you know we got to do this and it always adjusts by putting stuff abroad oh i can't get the fucking bananas i want so i'm gonna have the u.s government come in and and overthrow this government so that i can have the fucking access to the bananas for you know the labor and the land of this other country capitalism has adapted in that way and i suspect that this will be very similar but like yeah it's it's an interesting thing to me that like technology comes about and is not shared globally to me, that's a crime, right? If you have the ability to cure diseases and stuff, but then you don't do it in XYZ country, fuck you, that's a crime. And and we, we know how, how a socialist system would work and how it would incentivize sharing technologies because there's no need to go get profit, um, or at least not the same kind of need. Um, so I think it's easy to see like why what we're selling would be better, right? Um, the, the, the society we're trying to build obviously is better in a litany of ways, but this is one of them. Um, but yeah, kind of just a weird, I don't know, a weird whole fucking thing. Um, so anyway, before, um, we close out completely here, um, I wanted to kind of go in to the AI portion of this a little bit. Um, and I know Brian's got a few things to say about some of the uh, AI design um, because we've talked a lot about the manufacturing process and stuff, but you know, especially in, in the United States, a lot of production already doesn't happen in the United States. There's offshoring of jobs and everything, but there's, and I think there was always this idea that certain jobs would be safe from automation. Um, and I think, think that this car and the way that they're making this car proves that actually no jobs are safe okay there there is no there's no escaping automation it happens to every uh industry and every job type um and engineering is apparently one of them and i'm going to go through why this thing is able to compete against humans and blow us out of the water um So let's let's address the AI part of this now. Um, There's essentially two kinds of AI, um, basically. 
Um, and the first type is something that like Google has worked with a lot. And this you'll see in a lot of software. It's basically where you just bombard the AI with like, here's an image of this fucking thing. Here's a definition. And, and I'm going to teach you what this thing is by showing you a million pictures of it. Right. So this is a blank, whatever it is. Uh, here's a billion pictures of blank. Here's the definition. Now you know what a whatever blank is. And then you can show it things and be like, hey, is this a blank? And it'll say yes or no or whatever it is. So that's that's kind of like the first type of AI. Um, and that's probably used with this AI to some extent, right? They probably fed it. Hey, here's car designs for the last 10 years. Here's this kind of car, that kind of car. Here's this engine, that engine, whatever. Um, then the second type of AI is what's called computational engineering. So here's a bunch of parameters. Produce the best thing based on these parameters. Um, and so, you know, okay. And then the, the, the AI would come back and say, okay, here's 1 million different versions of what you just asked me to do. Please tell me how I did. Um, and, and then you say, okay, this one was dog shit. This one was crap. This one was good. And then you kind of refine it, right? A lot like a Spotify playlist or a Pandora playlist. Like you thumbs up this song you thumbs down that song and you will get closer and closer to what you're looking for. That is how this thing approaches engineering. So um, it's a, and it, it creates these designs so quickly um, that it is akin to having like, imagine if you had a billion employees, that's what the AI is doing essentially. And that's why it's, so much better than what a human engineer could do. So um, essentially these use like um, a statistical error model. And my partner was explaining this to me because she knows more about this kind of stuff than I do. Um, and she deals with like machine learning and stuff at her job. And she was essentially saying, you know, hey, it, it, depending on what model you use will change the outcome that this AI will give you. So like, the AI is going to say, this is the best design based on the parameters that you gave me. But like, it might be the best if you use this error model, but it might not be the best if you use a different error model. So there is some, there will be jobs in, you know, statistical analysis, right? That there will still be jobs in that in like bouncing between different error models and how to, how to guide these AIs. So if you're a younger listener and you're looking for like, Hey, what job can I get that won't be automated away? Maybe that's something. I don't know. You're probably fucked either way, but yeah, maybe that's something, but it, these essentially will use different error models. Like you could say, this is the best way, quote unquote, best way to design this brake caliper bracket. Okay. Maybe it is, maybe it's not. You gave it the parameters it came back with this and you refined it, whatever. And this is what you got. If you used it slightly different model, maybe you'd get something different. So like, don't think that like, Oh, this is the best. And that's the end of it. That's not quite how it works. But what this thing is doing is it's creating, you know, 1 million designs based on the parameters you fed it, you fed to it. And like, you might use that first type of AI first, right? This is a brake caliper bracket. 
here's a million pictures. Here's a million designs of other brake caliper brackets. Now here's the parameters that I want you to use. I want you to reduce the weight. I want you to increase strength. I want you to blah, 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 whatever you feed it to the AI. The AI will spit out a whole bunch of different designs. You say, this one's good. This one's good. That one sucks. This is what the fuck was this? This one's great. And you, you rate them accordingly and it will refine its designs into something that really does start to resemble the best possible design. And so this is, um, this is essentially like, if you can imagine you had Ford motor company had 3 billion engineers and, and that they could design this car in one day. That's essentially what this AI software is capable of doing. And so if your choice is pay X amount of dollars for the output of a billion engineers versus the 1000 engineers I actually have to fucking pay for and care about. And I got to take bathroom breaks and I got to give them time off and shit. The choice is very clear. So a lot of people with very high educated, you know, degrees and whatnot who are in trouble because they will not be able to compete with an AI. Just there's no way around that. The machine is better. It still needs people to guide it, so there will be jobs in that, but this is also replacing jobs. The manufacturing process, this, all of it. So this is, like I said earlier, I wanted to point out that this is, in fact, a major jump in the productive forces. Something that could potentially lead to something different. Um, so maybe that's the little point of optimism. This is a very big change. And when changes like this come about, a lot of times the old system just simply cannot survive. And this might be what's going on here. So um, anyway, these types of AI, whatever, um, this is essentially a pretty big threat to jobs. Um, and obviously both types of this AI um, do threaten uh, many, many jobs. Um, so as we've been kind of alluding to, how will capitalism address this? Um, sure, the systems still require human input and guidance, uh, but it is far less than existing systems. And with less complex production of parts and supporting systems, what will happen to these people who are no longer needed for production? Who will buy the products being produced? Um, so as I've said before, uh, it's worth pointing out that capitalism has displayed a certain resilience in the face of this contradiction. A frustrating resilience, I would say. Automation has been taking jobs consistently for decades. Um, and yet, we still have a lot of people who have jobs. Somehow. Um, so has moving production out of the country, for that matter. And still, consumption must increase. And it does. Uh, but with all the jobs being lost and replaced with shittier and shittier jobs, how is this sustainable? Marx predicted these contradictions would eventually pave the way for a change in the mode of production. Eventually, the material reality of these tensions would snap and bring about the end of capitalism, hopefully to be replaced with a more with a move toward communism. Yet, capitalism has found ways to adapt. How long can it continue? Who knows? Um, could this be the innovation that is too great for capitalism to escape? Automation of this kind is only a problem for capitalism. 
Innovations like this are great in a communist system. This allows for human beings to be liberated from drudgery and toil. Um, everyone can have more time and with which to do what they choose. Everyone can have their needs met uh, more easily, as long as our system of distribution makes sense. And it could, easily. If an AI can design a better car, it can design a better economy. A better world is obviously possible, and maybe this automation will be the beginning of the path away from capitalism. Or maybe it makes everything worse. Either one is possible, uh, though I know which one is probably the safer bet. So, I don't know if you guys have any other thoughts. That's kind of how I'm finishing it. Um, I don't fucking know, but uh, the car is cool. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Uh, I mean, it'd be cool if this kind of technology was, you know, used for making, I don't know, wind turbines instead of toys for the rich or whatever. <laughs> that would be cool. Although, to be fair, within the framework saying, we exist in, it has to be used to make toys for the rich before it can be used to make wind turbines. <laughs> well, also, we can make perfectly good fucking wind turbines. We have no problem with that. We have problems with them not being used for any number of reasons but has nothing to do with the production of them yeah um i mean i can go into a little bit more of of what i know about the ai design but um i guess you know just sort of the the very rough history of engineering for the past you know 300 years or so has been like first people had something that they built and it broke or fell down and they're like I don't know, build it stronger, you know, make it thicker or whatever. Yeah. Um, That was kind of the first stage. And then people sort of developed rules of thumb for, okay, if it's got to, you know, hold up this much weight, we got to make it eh, about that thick. I think that's good. Um, Or, you know, people figured out, okay, if you have sharp corners on something, that's where the cracks develop or whatever. So they learn to radius the edges and stuff. Um, Hmm. And then eventually you know, like math and engineering and science kind of came together and people figured out, okay, now this steel or whatever, has a tensile strength of 10,000 PSI. So if we make, you know, uh, it uh, a two inch across square, uh, it can hold 20,000 PSI before it breaks or whatever. Um, So people figured out those kind of things and they came up with something called like a safety factor where, um, okay, I think it can hold... 10,000 PSI, but we'll make it for 20,000 just in case. Yeah. Um, so it, you know, if it, if it gets, uh, like a little crack in it, it's not going to be the end of the world. Um, and then, you know, I think, I'm not sure when it was exactly, but there was, there's been computer aided design as long as there's been computers, but like the big CAD programs only really came out like in the late eighties, I think. And that started, started to replace, a lot of the like drafting jobs. So not like Mm -hmm. the engineer, but like the engineer's assistant, you know, like if you, if you look at like all those um, like world war two documentaries about how they, they built bombers and stuff, you'll see a whole room of people on easels or, or uh, desks with their, um, you know, T squares and everything sketching engines and airplanes and Jeeps and whatnot. Um, So it, it took a lot of people to create all those blueprints and designs you know back in the day nowadays it takes you know a couple guys with some computers to make the same thing um and something that's that came about i don't know in the last few decades uh is called finite element analysis 
And that's basically where you take all those equations where you say, okay, this, this thing has a tensile strength of 10,000 PSI. Um, you know what? Okay. It, it's easy if it's just a, a one inch square, but what if it's, you know, this weird blobby shape, like what yeah. we see with a zinger, you know, that gets a lot harder to compute just with a pencil and paper. So the computers, you know, managed to get this. Um, okay, so if you have a CAD program, a modern CAD program like SolidWorks is what I learned this on. You can make a part. You can say, okay, it's going to have this load of ten thousand um, pounds on this point or this area, and it's going to be bolted to this other thing in this area. So. And then it'll chug along and it'll tell you, it'll give you like a heat map where, okay, this is red. This is, it's going to fail at this point. And this is hmm. blue that it's nowhere near close to failure at this point. So you can make this, the red part a little thicker and the blue part a little thinner and, you know, refine your design a little bit uh, to yeah, see I mean, how well it works. And, and if you, with this particular car, you will see like, it's got these organic shapes and stuff, but like it does exactly that process in such an elegant way that is just like, Oh, Holy shit. Okay. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> it, it what is... they're, what they're doing, what they're doing with this is basically automating that process of, you know, the engineer looking at the part and saying, Oh, that looks like it needs to be stronger here. Yes. It's just, okay, well we'll do that over and over and over again until, it refines the design to be, you know, much lighter, much stronger than, than it was before. Yeah. And it's, and it's like, imagine if you gave the best engineer in the world, 1 million chances to refine their design. That's what an A, that's what an AI is capable of doing. And and another thing, (laughs) another thing to mention is I, I know this is true of like the Google approach of like deep learning or um, a lot of what they call AI now, uh, where it's chugging through a lot of computational power. And it's a it's a little bit like Bitcoin. It uses a lot of en- energy and it uses a lot of like it burns through computer components pretty quickly. <laughs> yeah. So so just like with Bitcoin, you know, there's a shortage of like graphics cards. You can't build your gaming PC. Uh, and there's also like it's using the same you know, electricity as the country of Argentina. Like if every, if every single design was optimized to death, like this, this car was, you know, Hmm. then it might be using a lot more resources than, um, than it would previously, you know, I mean, and I guess what's the trade-off like with using less aluminum or less steel or whatever, you know, I'm sure that that's, that's the thing is like, you can plug in the parameters you want, I suspect you can kind of like limit the kind of computing power that's using. It's like, okay, instead of trying this 1 million times, do it 10,000. You know what I mean? I'm I'm sure there's a way to like turn down the knob a little bit um, and to make your, you know, perhaps your parameters a little more broad or whatever, or be a little more forgiving on it. So I'm sure there's ways to do this, but you know, really the, the idea here is, not just the little car it's the ai design which can be used in many many industries the same with the additive manufacturing and the same with this way that it is assembling these cars um 
it, it is un it is oh, to me unfathomable just how many jobs this could replace and it doesn't have to just be manufacturing i mean an ai like this theoretically could i mean we already see you know it replaces customer service jobs anytime you try and call customer service for any company you probably are going to deal with a a phone robot of some kind or whatever um so what is what is to be what is to be done about us fucking people you know it's workers like are are, are the robots taking over to do the bidding of the rich and that's it? You know, like what do, what is their plan for dealing with the problem of a proletariat, which has no jobs, you know, yeah. I, 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 I don't get it, but a part of me thinks that capitalism will find a way to make it work. And that's what scares me. It'll just get worse. That's my fear. This, this might be the thing that tips us over into dystopia. I mean, this is like I said. This is a massive jump in the in the productive forces. I, like, it seems like okay, this is a jump coupled with all the other jumps that we've had and haven't really reckoned with yet. I'm like, this is this is like, can the old system continue? There has to be some change in in how things work because I, I don't know. This seems we've had automation taking huge numbers of jobs for a long time and worker productivity going up for a long time at a certain point that's got to run out right yeah i um i i can't i i've been looking for these uh two little like short animated cartoons for a while and i can't find either one of them one of them was like um i think it was called something like last job and it was basically, you know, everything gets automated. And it's about this uh, this woman who shows up for work one day at her office job. And it's like a little drone delivers her a note that says, you know, oh, sorry, you've been laid off because your job's been automated or whatever. <laughs> and it's like, OK, well, what do I do now? Um, and then the other one uh, was uh, it was basically like showing a future where like everything is automated, but like all the humans are extinct. And there's just like a bunch of like automated self-driving cars with skeletons in them driving around <laughs> and stuff like that. So like uh, maybe that could be our future. I don't know. I feel like that's more likely than something good. But um, yeah, I don't know. I just I feel like I didn't think that the automation was going to come for the engineering jobs too, and yet whew, here we are. I mean, I think, like, I think it's only a matter of time before automation comes for every job. Yeah, it's got to. Yeah, like it all. It already came for all those drafters, you know, decades ago. Mm-hmm. So. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. So I don't like like I said, I don't know the the answer here. But one, I thought the car was cool. It has big implications for the automotive industry and industry as a whole and uh, capitalism. I don't know. So no real conclusions to draw here. I'm not going to make any major predictions, but uh, I suspect capitalism will be fine for a while longer. Whether that continues or not. Oh man. Imagine what happens when the AI makes friends with the algorithm and like our internet habits affect the outcome of like the vehicle that gets printed for us. (laughs) Hmm. Well, okay. Hold on. This sounds like not dystopia. This sounds like utopia to me. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I want. Oh, I'm I'm interested now. 
I I do think it's dystopian when you remove like you you at that point you're just stripping like uh, humanity of of like choice and free will and it's like we have calculated you will like this we will now make this for you I don't I don't believe in free will anyway personally I am a I am a I am a determinist no ifs ands or buts you don't have a choice in fucking anything nope well I enjoy the illusion of choice then sure <laughs> don't we all. <laughs> yeah I'll, although I'll i would a... i would argue that you're probably predisposed to that position because of the chemicals in your brain so <laughs> you didn't really choose that position my friend if anything i'm predetermined to like this position because of the shortage of some of the chemicals in my brain <laughs> <sighs> well i've you... got i've got plenty of chemicals in my brain right now i'm i'm uh doing pretty good malort some beer it's a good time I, I hope. Am. By the way, I hope I wasn't slurring my speech as I read these fucking articles. I was like, "Oof!" Not no, that I'm like, good. I'm not yeah. trash, but sometimes I'm like, reading articles with technical language while drinking. I'm like, Ugh. sometimes I worry that I'm going to come off like. <laughs> I have blacked out on at least two or three recordings, so you're good. <laughs> well, hopefully, our listeners can still put up with it. <laughs> you know, I I just had one final thought. Um, like Stephen Hawking and a bunch of other people were like warning about the dangers of developing AI, like robots are going to kill us in the future or whatever. Um, and then someone else pointed this out. I forget who, um, like we already have artificial intelligence. It's called corporations. Like, mm. you know, they're, they're already killing us. Like in a, in a lot of ways, like, yeah, you know, corporations are are an artificial intelligence they're not really they're making decisions independent of human beings in a, in a lot of ways so yeah that in their intelligence is certainly artificial yeah <laughs> um uh which you know quick quick note stephen hawking cool socialist in case anyone didn't know that most of them are yeah pick pick a famous scientist socialist yeah, probably. <laughs> um, anyway, that's all. That's really all I've got. So um, I don't know what to make of all that, but uh, hopefully the listener knows what to make of it. It's definitely something I don't think that we're going to like come up with a, a really well like, thought out yeah. position in the next like hour. But it's a thing to pay attention to in terms of like the development of humanity. Yeah. Yep. That's fair. That's, I think, the best description that we're going to get. So I think we'll end on that note. And uh, with that, if uh, if you like our podcast, go ahead and give us a little rating or review or whatever your app allows. And um, I don't know, come follow us on social media, Cars and Comrades podcast. Uh, if you search that, you'll get us wherever, whatever platform you're looking on, that sh- we should come up. Except TikTok, yeah. we don't have that yet. We may never have that. We'll see. Cool. Anyway, yep, cool. Thanks for listening. All right. Bye, everybody. Bye. Bye. Poverty. Half a million Americans at any given time are sleeping out under bridges and in gutters. Is that not violence to force a human being to sleep in the fucking street? 
while, while the rulers that dictate this entire system have four or five or six fucking houses, that's violence. If you ain't first, you're last. You know what I'm talking about? That phrase, trade mark, not to use the other phrase, Ricky Bobby. There's a joke that circulated in Russia in 1992, in the, after the first year of the free market paradise, and it went like this. Question, what did capitalism accomplish in one year that communism could not do in 70 years? Answer, make communism look good. My calculations are correct. When this baby hits 88 miles per hour, you're gonna see some serious shit. Much of what has been said about communism in this country is simply not true. She assaulted my body. Yeah. And that's nothing but pure and simple old-fashioned communism. The U.S. government is the largest terrorist organization on planet Earth, and they have no right to wag their finger at anybody over anything having to do with ethics, morality, or human rights. America is a human rights violation in and of itself.